continue our reading of the book of Hebrews, coming today to Hebrews chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 to 13, Hebrews 4, 1 to 13. Now, the writer of Hebrews has a very distinctive and distinctively high understanding of the word of God, and the particular point that he frequently makes is that the word of God is speaking today. He's actually going to be talking in our passage about events that happened in the time of Moses, and he's going to be expositing a psalm, Psalm 95, written by David around 1000 BC, 950, something like that. So you have an event around 1500 BC, and then you have David writing about it. Then you have the writer of Hebrews preaching about it uh, in the first century church, and now here we are today reading the text. And the point he wants to make is on all of those occasions, God is speaking. And he says at the end of the passage, that well-known verse, the word of God is living and active. There's a dynamic quality to the reading of the Bible, to the preaching of the word. And he argues in in, in verse 7, today if you hear his voice, he's quoting Psalm 95, but he has a dynamic understanding of that. Now that I'm preaching what David say, it's still today, and it's today for, it's the biblical today. The urgency, because God is presently speaking. When you open your Bibles, God is speaking to you by his word. Not something other than the word. Not some mystical event. No, no, the word is God speaking to you in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The same is true in the preaching of the word. Verse 12 and 13 speak about how the word of God comes within us. There's power. And he opens us up. He discerns us. He, he, there's, a, there's, a, there's an x-ray examination of our inner spirit And we stand before the one before whom we must give an account. Now, the particular issue in chapter 4, that's kind of the background, how he does it. But remember, he's exhorting these Jewish Christians not to fall away back into Judaism under the pressure they're under. And he argued in chapter 1 and 2 that Jesus is better than the angels. By the way, I don't think I said it it then. But why the angels? Because the law of God, the Ten Commandments, were given through the mediation of angels. And and so that's why that's said. Uh, And and then in chapter 2 or chapter 3, it's Moses. And if you really want to be a follower of Moses, then you believe in Jesus. Moses was a servant in the house over which Christ is the Son. Now it's Joshua's turn. And he's going to talk about how Joshua led the people into the promised land. And it was by faith that they entered that rest. The land of Canaan was seen as the rest. And he's quoting from Psalm 95 as David's commenting on this. And the point he makes is, you know, in Joshua's time, they they heard the word, but they did not combine it with faith. And so the vast majority, almost all of those who left Egypt failed to enter the promised land because they fell away into unbelief. It actually is a chilling thought. Of that generation, a couple of million of them, only two actually entered the promised land, Joshua and, and Caleb. Why not everybody else? He's going to argue. They did not combine the hearing with believing. And so it's essential. It's not, a, it's not a negotiable matter whether you believe in Jesus or not and the, and the gospel message. And by the way, you, you may ask, are you saying they all went to hell? I'm not saying that. I'm sure that many of them repented and believed before their bones crashed into the sand where they lied until the resurrection. But it's a sobering thing, and he wants us to be sober. And his argument is, okay, now it's your today. If you hear his voice, verse 7, do not harden your hearts. Well, that's his message to us. There should be, of all the things that might happen to them, none of them are significant enough for us to discard eternal life, the eternal rest. 
You and I will enter into the true, the, the, the true rest, he points out, is the second coming of Jesus. It's the eternal age of glory and the resurrection. And we will enter that rest only by holding fast in faith. Uh, by the way, uh, verse 9 is the verse that persuaded me of the Christian Sabbath. I had, as a new believer, I've been raised in a church that didn't believe in the Sabbath. And one of my seminary professors, I asked him about it, and he went to this verse. Because it, when he says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, he uses the language of the Sabbath day. He's not been using that terminology. There's an illusion, but now he uses the word. He says there, there, this, the Sabbath day remains for the people of God in the New Testament. A rather definitive statement about Sabbath observance. And the reason is the Sabbath is a sign not of the first coming of Christ, but of the second coming of Christ. And it is only when the new heavens and the earth come that we will not need the habit, the pattern of Sabbath rest and, and, and of the market day of the soul. And so that's the statement being there. But his main point is in verse 11. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The disobedience to which he refers is that of unbelief. Well, let's give ear to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and life-giving word, Hebrews 4, 1 to 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since there remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The grass withers, the flowers fall, and the word of our God abides forever. Amen.